0: Hi everyone, welcome to Into the Wild. Before we get on to today's show, Nardo and I would like to remind everyone that whilst Into the Wild is a super accessible show, we do occasionally let out the odd swear word. So if you're a young nerd, make sure you tell your parents that. And if you're someone that doesn't like swearing, then I'm sorry for all the shit, p***, and w***s. Hello, welcome to another episode of Into the Wild. Hi. How are you doing? Really good, thank you really good yeah how good's your day
1: been um i tell you what it's windy here
0: (laughs) yeah it's been a bit windy down here as well the orc tree that that you
1: gifted me (laughs) that i've been growing i found blowing around the garden outside of its pot good god man (laughs) i know it is wizard of oz mad up here in scotland right now
0: wow ferries are all cancelled ferries i'm not going anywhere (laughs) No, why would you? It's windy. I've actually battened down the hatches. No, well, it's, it's not as windy as that down here, but it has been windy in story. But is, I've, we've had that su- sudden change mm. to autumn.
2: The Very term. sudden.
0: One day it was 24 degrees and sunny in October. Terrifying. Then the next day... 10 degrees, rainy and windy. So, and that, like, yes. so
1: tell me what, um, tell me what autumny things you did in response.
0: Do you know what I, I <laughs> yesterday I did cook a pumpkin. Yeah, <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> Genuinely good. I made a lovely soup with a pumpkin. Oh, you're in. <laughs> so predictable. <laughs> I also made soap from horse chestnuts. I saw on your Instagram, yeah. get you. I know, I'm going to start doing that. Save a few Tell me how that saves. goes, because I don't trust it. Do you not trust it? Well... I thought that would have been well up your street. No, it is like no, up my street,
1: but, you know, I, I, I feel like I get my clothes really dirty.
0: I think, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's got the same chemical in it, I've been reading, as all soap has to lift grease and dirt. Well,
1: do you know what? Horse chestnuts aren't the best trees, so it's good for them to have another string
0: to their bow. There you go. Exactly, yeah. right. And if you just want to play with the conkers, they're great weapons. So... <laughs> Who are you fighting? Well, when I was a kid, everyone used to... Yeah. You know, so, throw a yeah, it's not a weapon, a it's a game. It well, was very much a war when I was oh at school. Oh my God, Lord.
1: Anyway, tell me what you're drinking.
0: <laughs> um, I've just had a brew, but I finished it. I finished the brew, but it was lovely. I'm it was ha- lovely, lovely.
1: I'm having something different for once. I'm having um, a raw... It was lovely, I'm lovely having English. something different for once. I'm having um, a oh raw press green smoothie. It's called Virgin Smoothie, crafted, crafted, crafted with kiwi, pear, kale, spinach, broccoli, apple, and vitamin C.
0: Now you are sick, aren't now
1: you? No, this is because I'm this is because I'm emerging from a sick place, um, and so I'm trying to put the. The ingredients of life back yeah. into my body. But put the health back yeah.
0: in. Crafted. It was uh, why do people use words like yeah. that when they're talking about food, bro? It wasn't crafted. It was made. It was just made. It was just blended. It wasn't made. You didn't sit there like shaving bits of wood off of it yeah. and crafting a bench or something. Jesus. Why'd you neck in? What what smoothie company is that?
1: It's called Mockingbird and actually it tastes really nice.
0: No, I feel bad now.
1: Damn it, it's only one of my five a day. I thought I was yeah, getting two.
0: Okay, so welcome to the Show Nerds. Nod, it's lovely to see you. Should we jump into nature news? Should we give these nerds a bit of um, a bit of hope and a bit of bliss about the nature that's going on and the conservation successes maybe? Shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Right. Okay, so my first bit of nature news I got two bits is that after a long time planning and I know because I've spoken to a few people in the planning process about this, a family of five beavers have been released into a lovely enclosure in London for the first time. Beavers are back in London, 400 years. Family of Five, um, the project was part of the Mayor's Rewild London Fund to help local authorities, civil society organisations and community groups create new green spaces and encourage wildlife. Um, So it's down towards Ealing. It's been the work of Ealing Wildlife Trust and um, Citizen Zoo. Sean McCormack, who's been on the show before, has played a massive hand in this. Um, So congratulations to him. And it's lovely to see the beavers already at work building dams, slowing down the trickles of water to create wetlands in London. How exciting is that? That's amazing. I'm so happy. I can't wait to go down and see them. And maybe, maybe we'll do a little pod on it as well. Where did you say it was again? In Ealing in West London. Okay. Yeah. Do you, that means nothing no, to you, does it? No, at all. No. Why did you ask? <laughs> What's your bit of nature news? What's gone on?
1: So this was just something, I, There's a there's a few Instagram accounts that I follow that generally share positive nature news, but this one just stuck out. And actually, maybe it's a bit of a theme because it's... I really like like the big restoration turning back of crap that we've done in the past stories. Um, so uh the world's biggest dam removal project will soon begin Ooh. on the Klamath River, um, which is a river that runs through Oregon and California and the in the west of uh, North America. So after a hundred years of being dammed, it will, you know, the river will flow free once again. Um, oh, that's lovely. There's been huge amounts of advocacy by local tribes. Rivers being a really important part of people's cultural identity and food security. And so salmon, once again, will be able to to swim free. Um, and also, you know, there's all kinds of problems with dams, which is obviously not least, you know, things being able to migrate up and down and move in a normal way. But also the water in rivers, as we know, um, kind of has like a dynamism to it, an organic way mm. of cutting through and moving through the landscape. Um the process of damming doesn't allow rivers to behave in the way that they need to behave. And birds and aquatic life depends on on kind of, I guess, just the 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 living breathingness of a river. You know, there's issues around the reservoirs and dams being breeding grounds for the kind of bacteria which, you know, like the blue-green algae type stuff that is toxic to life. Yeah. So, like there's, you know, the 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 massive impacts of um dams you know so that, i don't know it's just exciting oh, to be great. able to no, go like lovely. actually we don't need to do this anymore
0: yeah um, it's like a realization of going oh we fucked up yeah <laughs> like, let's start taking that down
1: yeah and that kind of like interesting thing of like uh people can get maybe because it was 100 years ago right those people that put mm. it in are dead so there's not the whole ego thing of like oh god yeah. we have to backtrack on this thing that we did
0: yeah exactly so yay and you know maybe dumb for understandable reasons back then this is the thing things were dumb for damn it (laughs) yeah back it made sense
1: Um, at the
0: time Uh, made sense at the time not anymore I
1: I mean it did make sense to a lot of people at the time it made sense to to probably a certain group of people but probably like indigenous people to those areas they were like this doesn't make sense less so (laughs) so (laughs) love to rivers
0: Oh, that's nice. My second bit, which I saw online, and then I've just got a little bit to say on this. Bhutan announced a milestone achievement with a 39.5% increase in snow leopard numbers. <gasps> which is incredible. Um, The presence of 134 snow leopards has been confirmed in Bataan by the National Snow Leopard Survey, which I assume we can trust them on that, 2022 to 2023, supported by the Bataan for Life project and the WWF Bataan. Um, This represents 39.5% increase from the country's first survey in 2016, when 96 individuals uh, were counted.
1: Incredible. Oh, that makes me so happy. They're one of the things I want to see in the
0: world yeah there's just such beautiful like secretive cats yeah. um to know they're you know making a, a jump back um i know there's a lot of community conservation going on in their population range and geographical range and stuff so that's you know it, it's lovely to see the numbers actually coming in so yeah hooray for thank time, you
1: for wouldn't?
0: sharing that with me oh god they are right. cuddly cats they are cuddly cats i mean i wouldn't but you i would want to if that makes any sense do
1: what
0: cuddle work. Oh. Where, where was your mind going?
1: Cut that out, Oscar. <laughs>
0: that's an accusation I didn't want on record. It's just the way that you said, like, you would though, wouldn't you? You said, I want to cuddle one. Let's not, Oscar, take all that yeah, out. Yeah, that, that's... <laughs> that got weird.
1: Bloody brilliant news.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. So it was lovely. I was very happy when I saw that. Well, nerds, there's a bit of like nature news for you to keep you, keep you upbeat. Yeah. And happy in this mad odd world. And and today, no, let's just, should we just jump into our episode? Should we jump into our main topic? Let's jump. Let's go. Oh. Right, here we go. So this episode, nerds, we are talking all about gardens in the UK Ooh. and the wildlife in them and what they hold for importance of people. So I will say, if you're listening out of the UK, this episode will be very UK focused. Um talking about how um our gardens rurally and in urban areas, what they can do for wildlife, the importance of them. Um, so let's start with talking about the UK. 80% of our population, 87%, sorry, of our population in the UK has a garden. Wow. One in eight people do not. Gets a bit higher when you look at cities. So London is about 20, uh, 21 to 25% do not have a garden. And I assume that's the same or similar pattern when we go to other cities as well. Second highest is Scotland, um, or third highest, sorry, is Scotland with um, 13% do not have a garden. England, so specifically England, sorry, it's not the UK. Um, I could only really find Proper stats for England. Um, 13 million hectares covers the whole of the UK, which, of which 4.9% is residential gardens. That makes up about 639,254 hectares, which is about 2,468 square miles, which is just a wee bit bigger than the country of Brunei in Asia. Nadia.
1: Wow. Brunei.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's... So now you can really vividly picture so that. So that that's in your new
1: head. information for me, and I'm assuming listeners. Yeah, well, yeah. It,
0: it helps to picture it. It's only new information for Ryan it. from the last hour yeah. ago.
1: It's not, you know, usually we use yeah. Wales as our benchmark, but Brunei, welcome mm. to the family.
0: Welcome to the Club of Statistics, Brunei. <laughs> um,
1: did you just um, know that? Are you a? Did you know about Brunei? Yeah, oh, massive fan. Yeah.
0: Always have been. No, yeah. no, I looked it up. Lovely. I looked it up. Um, Interesting. It was quite hard to find a country that was about the same size. But yeah, so that's, that's how much land gardens cover. That surprises
1: me. You know, I think it does surprise me. Actually, it's way more people having a garden than I thought. Um, Mm. I did know, I did have an idea of about, you know, in terms of land mass, what residential gardens occupy. But um, I never really thought, I mean, I guess I'm looking around where I live now. Pretty much everybody's got a garden I can see. Um,
0: Yeah. And you know, even where I look now, um, a lot of the houses have gardens. And when I go down into Archway, a little bit lower down, even the council estates, a lot of the... Houses that do have even very small. I wonder if
1: that includes Um, shared gardens. And I also wonder whether it includes, like, what's the minimum amount? Because I know at the front of your house there is, like, a little bit
0: of a yard. Yeah. Like, I wonder if that's also included. (laughs) Exactly. So it it should be. be. I don't know if. Yeah, it should be. It's outdoor space. Balconies, even large balconies, could be, you know, classified as a little garden um, and a little space. So, yeah, that's what we're looking at. So it it is more, but also it's not a huge amount allowed. No, not huge. So
1: yeah, we do also just as well as those statistics, which are really useful to know. Mm. I think it's good to understand us Brits and our relationship with gardening. Um, Yeah, we have a strong one, right? Like the garden centre and plant buying industry is really big here in the UK. Um, Just, but I can imagine the revenue from garden centres on a sunny. Saturday afternoon <laughs> is yeah. huge. Um, we we do love to potter. We love to tinker as a tinker is <laughs> tinker 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 is a word. Yeah, but can it be used <laughs> in relation to potting a plant?
0: A hundred percent. Well, you tinker around in the garden. Tinker on? and
1: potter. Um, I think we on. are a nation of tinker and potterers. We um enjoy peeking over the fence to see how somebody else's begonias are doing. I imagine there's kind of curtain twitching and judgment. I myself have been judged by both of my neighbors on the unruly nature of my garden um and I know I know many people um have had to have awkward conversations with their neighbors as to why their garden is perhaps not like you know cookie cutter perfect um mowed lawn and and perfect borders but yeah we are we are a we are a nation of garden lovers and and um something that I think has increased since covid um kind of that mm. time spent at home growing vegetables. I know that growing vegetables is increasing loads as well. Um, so I wonder, you know, like glo- on a global level, we, you know, the Victorians, I think were the people that really thrust this idea of having this really beautiful ornamental space, a really nicely curated space. Because we are a colonized, colonizing nation, um, we have explored the globe and pulled back plants from all around the world. Um, So a lot of our recognisable plants that we see in garden centres are things that certainly are not native here. Um, In fact, Mm. there are more non-native plants now in the UK than there are native plants, particularly as it comes to a garden setting. Oh, Um, wow. The kind of like shrubs and bushes that people plant um, because they look nice and they grow really well in our climate. People don't like to think it, but we are heavily influenced culturally by the things that we see around us. And we kind of want to replicate these. The gardens that kind of, you know, you know, all those beautiful kind of like well-curated, perfect yeah. lawn with the flowers and the can we, that is something that is really culturally ours. I think, you know, I have traveled to other places and gardens don't look like the way that we garden. I guess potentially it's just, it's a status thing maybe if you've got, you know, to show that you've got time to just garden. And I, I think there's probably a lot of judgment going on.
0: Um, we will be talking a bit more, but before we actually, before we run this down, I had a lovely chat with someone called Kate Bradbury, who, is, who loves garden wildlife, loves writing about wildlife in your gardens um, and talking about the importance of it. So I thought if we can get a chat with her, that can give us a baseline. So Nadia, should we have a listen to my chat with Kate and then we can talk all about it? Would love to. Let's go. Okay, so this is a chat I had very recently with Kate Bradbury about garden wildlife. We're going to be talking about gardens we today. Are. Garden wildlife. Um, have you always had a garden?
2: Uh, Yes, I think so. Apart from when, like, a couple of times when I was sort of in my early 20s and sort of living in student accommodation and things, I think, yeah, yeah, I grew up up with a garden. That was my sort of way in, really. So So you you
0: had one as a kid, like? Yes. What was your favourite part of a garden as a kid?
2: Oh, it was my dad's vegetable patch, but my dad left when I was really young, so it was like this abandoned vegetable patch that, oh no. that sort of just represented lots of loss and and longing. But I sort of, yeah, I just used to hang out there on my own and um, play with the cow parsley and butterflies and things. And it's, it sounds quite sad. It was. It, it It was sad actually. It was sad. It was really sad. But I think that's that's what that 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 what what gave me my connection was just sort of.
0: Oh, that's beautiful.
2: Yeah, being in this space that had been emptied by someone else.
0: Yeah. Oh, that is, do you know what? I exactly know what you mean. It's sad, but for some reason, you we st- it's not feeling sad, but it is
2: sad. Mm, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm talking about it now, I'm like, <gasps> but um, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> but, but yeah,
2: you know, and I think I I probably owe quite a lot of my, you know, my whole career to that sort of connection, really. Mm. Um. So yes, I can't, I can't complain.
0: Gardens have always been like, like my grandparents had gardens, my mum and dad had gardens. I long for a garden now, but I just, yeah, it's like having that outdoor space. And Like you said, so many different bits of it can mean different things or symbolise different things, especially to do with wildlife and stuff. And that's what we're going to be, I'm going to be talking to you about today because we're, this episode that we'll, um, this episode is all about garden wildlife and not necessarily just how, but what, what people need to do, but the power of what, if people did do, what that can actually do for biodiversity mm. in the UK. Um, and other countries around the world, I'm sure, is similar that have like that kind of like urbanised garden. So I'm just going to go straight out there, Kate, and say to you, like, for you personally, what do you think has the most potential for gardens supporting biodiversity in the UK? When we look at, it, look at it overall, everyone with a garden, what is the biggest potential there for garden wildlife?
2: So I think there's 30 million gardens in the UK. That number's... Whoa. I know it's massive, isn't it? That's, that, that's bad. That number's only going to go up with more house building and development and whatever. And I think what we can do and what we've already got, we've got a network of gardens. Mm. You know, we see them as our individual spaces. They're they you know, they're they're walled or they're fenced, but actually they are they comprise a very large mosaic habitat. The the potential of all of these things is that we can create corridors. We can create this vast mm. network of corridors, basically enabling species to travel north, because that's what they're all doing with climate change.
0: You yeah. Know, we've got
2: species arriving, we've got species that are here that are travelling north. And actually by using our gardens, those gardens can connect nature reserves. So we've got larger habitats, you've got gardens in between, um, to provide corridors. You, you know, you've got some rare species that are isolated if you've got gardens, then they can potentially connect to each other, which can prevent extinction. That's a huge untapped resource. Mm. Um and um, we just need more people to get on it, really.
0: So when we say get on it as well, because it's, it, you, you know, there's such an inherited way of gardening, I think, you know, especially in the UK, when we look at like the Victorian era of how gardens were and stuff, there's that inherited, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a minute, of the tidiness and the inherited of, of ornamental plants and, you know, all of this stuff has its place. Or, or even just a garden for recreational or like for children to be able to enjoy or for people to be able to sit and enjoy. What, what do we think people need to do? like start doing when we say like people need to do more what what do we mean by that
2: good question (laughs) (laughs) um we need more gardens like they were 50 years ago basically Mm. we need plants we need small amounts of hardscaping we need less decking paving plastic grass more plants, and we need connections between those gardens. So we need holes under fences. We need things to be a bit more rickety, not necessarily messy. But, you know, like someone said to me a few years ago, allotments now are like what gardens used to be like 50 years ago. And that's why allotments have potentially a lot more wildlife in them than, than our gardens do these days. Because you've got bits of long grass, you've got open compost heaps, you've got, you know, everyone just getting their food collected in a bin by the council every week. Like mm. that didn't used to happen. People used to put that outside in a big pile at the end of the garden. You know, when I was growing up, it was just a pile, just in the yeah. corner at the back. And people don't do that anymore. So we, we just, I think we need to reconnect with our gardens. We need to rewild ourselves. And we need to recognise the importance of the outside the space outside our back door and um, not necessarily you don't have to do loads of stuff you don't have to have a big meadow you don't have to you know plant loads of trees you don't have to dig a pond but just recognizing that life is supported by other living things that grow in the Mm -hmm. ground would would be a really good start
0: yeah that 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 reconnection I think because what you said about that you know having 30 million gardens and that potential of a corridor and like you said like things need to i guess we hear corridors and we go yeah we need to make this huge network that leads all the way and it's it's not quite i don't i mean i don't feel it as quite like that i feel it more as like it's almost like green spaces in london they're like pockets where things can like move and survive in places for a bit if they need to you know there's stepping enough to like stones. rest there stepping stones that's what i'm looking for yeah. stepping stones on the way around or whether they're migrating or whether they're just like locally migrating around that area and stuff so i think that's that's what we need to see more of like you said that that life kind of in them is it with gardens? Is it area-dependent? Because for what people need to do, because the UK is not a huge country, but it mm. is big for an animal like a bee. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, for us, it might, but not be huge. But is it area-dependent? Should we be creating different spaces in the south of our of the UK for gardens than we are in the north or in Scotland compared to we are in Wales? Does it change like that, or does it really not matter?
2: Well. Kind of a bit of both, really um habitats are habitat, so a pond is a pond, you know an area of long grass is an area of long grass. I think if you 're really keen and I would urge you to be really keen because it's it's really exciting and important <laughs> is is understand different local niches where you mm-hmm. live, so for example, I live in Brighton um There are two migrant species, um, the uh, long-tailed blue butterfly and the European swallowtail butterfly. Both of these species breed somewhere on the south coast every year, a little bit. With Mm. climate change, that's only going to increase. So me, like looking out for the little climate change refugees coming over from France, I grow their food plants.
0: Wow. Oh, that's so nice.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, you know, every year I'm disappointed, but um,
0: <laughs> they're
2: literally down the road. I hate them. Um, but um, yeah, there's no point in doing that in Scotland. But in Scotland, mm. you know, butterflies are just are just just on this massive sort of like pilgrimage north. Mm. You know, there's the speckled woods arriving in Scotland, the comma. So you can look up, but you can trace where these species are on various um, distribution maps, and Mm -hmm. you can start growing their food plants and you can start providing for those species. So I think that's quite an interesting thing to do. Um, With bumblebees, there's little pockets of very rare species. Um, So in, where are we? Salisbury Plains, there's um, Mm. the shrill carder bumblebee. Then in parts of Essex, um, around there, there's also the shore Carter and some other UK bat species. Parts of Wales as well. If you live on the fringes of those very wild habitats, you can grow some of their food plants. They're a lot fussier than the more common bees. They, right, need, right. Things, they need things like um, white dead nettle, hawhound, black hawhound, red clover, things like that. If you grow those plants in your garden, potentially on a good day, you know when 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 males are going out in search of in search of queens and and going beyond their existing habitats you might you know potentially get a rare bee in your garden mm. which would be really amazing so yes I think definitely you could tailor it to to certain things
0: I like that though I like about looking in the local area and seeing where you live and kind of going like what 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 do I have around here anyway? So, you know, whether I'm growing it for the things I know are definitely here or growing it for things that could be here or growing it for things that might move across, you're not sure. But just having it anyway yeah. kind of works, doesn't just, it? <laughs> like, yeah, just preparing. If everyone just had red or white dead nettle in their garden anyway.
2: Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, that's a dream, isn't
0: it? creating it. Oh, I mean, the dream for me. I love it. Yeah. Um, but no, that's interesting to know because you know the habitat or the environment, sorry, is different when you go uh, north to south in the UK. But it's always interesting how this should should this copy what we have in our gardens and stuff like yeah. that. But I guess also that's that is connecting with your local patch, right? You're gonna absolutely. You're not going to be able to grow some things in a colder climate that you can, or at different times a year, further south anyway. So
2: yeah, I always say um, with 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 catering for bees, I always say you know grow have something in flower between March and November. That's very standard advice. But in Brighton, yeah. you can have something in flower all year round. It's really
0: easy. Same in London. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So
2: you can tailor different things.
0: Yeah. And I, that's what I like about gardening though. That's what I like about being out there in garden. Our community garden now... Me and my friend Kel that run that we were so surprised that things are all still green and growing and flowering. I'm like, it is October. Like, yeah, I mean, it's been <laughs> a pretty October. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not even mild. It's been hot. <laughs> um, but it's just it's. I mean, today it's the first day that's rained, and I'm like, this is autumn. Like now things are going to start it's still changing. Really but warm, you're right, though. Yeah, you can still have flowers going all the way up until December. Sometimes it is it is mad mm. how it's gone. But then when you go across, you know, when I've been up into the Isle of Bute or around Scotland, it's not like that. You know, no. things things have changed, don't get me wrong, but not in, in to the scale that where we are, where you can have flowers until December or anything. Yeah. Um, for gardening, what are your biggest no-nos for gardening wildlife? Or actually, before I ask about wildlife, what's your biggest no-nos for any garden? For any like, is garden. Gnomes? Is it gnomes or something? <laughs> is it gnomes?
2: <laughs> I don't have any strong feelings about gnomes. I feel like do, I'm letting do you down, Do have no strong feelings? <laughs> I don't, no strong feelings about gnomes. You no. want a gnome, have a gnome. Um, <laughs> in fact, I've seen lots of gnomes with with some nice mosses and, and lichens on them. So potentially... I cannot be a,
0: believe we've gone down the side of... Do you know what? Gnomes <laughs> are beautiful.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my biggest note is it's got to be plastic grass, hasn't it? It's just horrible. Yeah, I mean, Yeah. It's there's no no good can come from it, and I say that as someone who's got plastic grass next door. Um, I've got plastic <laughs> grass on one side and pave, paving stones on the other, so you know I'm very familiar with this problem. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's it's horrible, and it you know it's it contains forever chemicals. that leak. we're going to be drinking it in twenty years time. Oh. Um, like it's it's not good. No good can come from this. Um, and ah, I, yeah. I I appreciate that some people have you know mobility issues and. Mm you need to tell your garden to be able to use it in that Absolutely, way. That's, that's yeah. really important. Um, but I still don't think plastic grass is the answer. And I still think, you know, people with mobility issues as well need the connection with nature as much as everyone else. So,
0: so 100%. I see.
2: Yeah, I, I, see, I, see well, I saw a, What was it? It was a new housing development and it was designed for people with mobility issues and it was just plastic grass. And it was like, you're just denying people a chance to connect with nature just because it's easier to do that. And I think, you know, we, we, we need to have conversations about making gardens more accessible to more people, 100%. But is it plastic grass? Is it the answer? I just don't think it is.
0: No, I don't think it is. I think you're right. It's a quick, it's a quick solution. And I don't think it's to nature. I think it's to the outdoors. Yeah, hundred percent. This gives you outdoor access at ease. But I don't, I don't think it's a connection to nature. And I think, you know, I'm speaking from someone that is able bodied, so I don't want to kind of assume this. But exactly. uh, I would imagine it's quite. Patronising to say that someone with mobility issues requires plastic grass, like I know, I don't know. That's that's my thoughts. So like I said, I, I'm able bodied, so I don't want to assume that. But it sounds it's for me. It's got that ick of like patronising. Yeah. Going, well, this is why it's like. Well, hang on a minute. Like yeah. You know, but also like just sp-
2: paving over a whole garden. It can't. Is is that what people want? You know. Yeah, it, that's it, what it I mean. Just, it's yeah.
0: yeah icky. So that's that's one of your biggest no nos. And is that the, does that coincide with like gardening for wildlife then?
2: oh 100% 100% you know like people come up to me and they, <laughs> they say things like oh my kids really love hedgehogs i really love hedgehogs but i've got plastic grass um and i didn't realize cuz the hedgehogs stopped coming in when i got my plastic grass and i said, well <laughs> yeah. they they Funny will that. Yeah. they eat food out of the ground um
0: so, <laughs> <laughs> well, they eat yeah
2: yeah so, um, and you, and you feel like what can you say you know they've been they've been lied to essentially by you know companies that have sold them this convenient thing that you know mm. they don't have to look after you actually do have to look after it quite a lot you have to my next door neighbor um vacuums his his uh, plastic <laughs> grass which is very common people buy vacuum cleaners for their grass now um uh. and yeah from a wildlife point of view you can't feed in it i see Robins and, and and Blackbirds picking up spilled seed from my next-door neighbour's plastic lawn, and it fills me with dread because they must be ingesting tiny little yeah. bits of plastic. Um, I think tiny little bits of plastic will be getting down the drains, becoming microplastics, entering the food chain and the sea. You know, in Brighton, I live two-minute walk from the sea. You know, everything that goes down the drains on my road just goes straight to the sea. It's there in five minutes. Wow. So, you know, I worry about the impact it has on wildlife in terms of denying them a food, denying them a meal. Earthworms, how are they faring with all this toxicity leaching mm. into the soil? And then, and then just the physical thing of removing all of the plants that that support life. And then, you know, at the other end, you've got what's leaching into the sea and entering the food chain. I mean, it's just, it's just really toxic and 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 really sad. And it, it makes me really sad seeing it and seeing so- gardens removed and replaced with it.
0: Yeah. So what I've I've got to ask now. What are your biggest yes yeses then?
2: Um, a pond.
0: Yeah, I, I love a everyone pond. tells me that it's
2: just the best. Just sitting is by it? a pond and just watching. Um, I, I was just out feeding my tadpoles actually before this, and yes, I still have tadpoles <laughs> in October. Which is great. Which is why I'm feeding them now. I'm trying to get mm. them to just grow some legs <laughs> to grow up. Yeah,
0: <laughs> get out. Get on
2: with it. Get out. <laughs> I need to clear my pond out. Um. So. Yeah, it's just lovely and it supports so much life. You have amphibians, of course, but you have um, aquatic invertebrates, you have birds feeding from it, you have hedgehogs drinking from it. You know, it's just its just like it's the centre of my garden. It's beautiful and I love it. Um, I also love a big open compost heap. Yeah. Um, in my garden, I've got a little space between the shed and the wall. I've got a very small garden and... I just pile everything up in between the shed and the wall under the overhanging roof so it doesn't get too wet. And that's where everyone lives but me. Like, it's basically Hedgehog Central. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and so it provides lots of life. You know, like a closed compost bin is a closed shop. It's an open compost yeah. heap. It's just, yeah. you know, this, this huge potential for supporting lots and lots of living things. Uh, love love me a bit of long grass full of butterflies, a little bit of meadow. Um Nice flowery things, native plants, but I think yeah, pond, long grass, and an open compost heap are my absolute wooden not Yes, yes, yeah. yeah,
0: yes, yes. It's it's mad, isn't it? Because all these things as well is like like it goes back to what we said at the beginning with this inherited, passed down, which mm-hmm. is something we used to have. Maybe not so much long grass. Maybe maybe that's still something that's always been a battle, but it's it's these things that we used to have that have just been lost maybe due to this urge for convenience or this, or this life with no time I -hmm. say in with Mm -hmm. quotations either side. Um, So it's, I think we've kind of like lost this element where actually it it is easy to do. It's easy to grow. It's not always easy to get what you specifically want from it. You sometimes, you know, if you let stuff grow, you get, you get stuff you don't want. Um, And you kind of have to let that happen to see, but it's yeah. I, I, I would just imagine that it, it's easier to do, but it feels harder for some reason. Do you does that make sense?
2: <clears throat> yeah, I mean, again, I think that's marketing. I think we've yeah. we've we've been conditioned to think that. And even gardeners, you know, I've worked for gardening magazines for nearly twenty years, you know, and 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 we are very much sold this kind of dream of of not having to do much work if we just you know do this if we lay this mm. patio or you know grow this plant that doesn't need much pruning. And everything's got to be neat and tidy and compartmentalised. And actually, I don't see what's wrong with letting things go and, and you know, just being a bit messy. You know, as, as I get older and I become less mobile, I'm going to fully embrace having a really wild garden. Because it's yeah. m- it, it is wild now in terms of I've created lots of habitats. But also I'm a gardener and I still go out and I prune and I
0: yeah, tidy right. things up.
2: And yeah, I don't really see what's wrong with letting go and just mm. having it just look after itself.
0: So my dad refuses it. (laughs) And I don't know if you'll listen to this, but I'm going to say this. He refuses to do it. Like I was like, it's like, just let your grass grow. Not even all of it. Just do a patch. Do like a meter by meter square. Like just do that over there. Would not do it. Right. Would refuse to do it. And I was really trying to get him to get like wild native wildflowers in some area of the garden. Right. And he wouldn't do it. So in the end, um, I found a great company that sell organic plugs of organic native wildflowers. So super easy, just get delivered, and you know not so much money. So for for every Christmas, birthday, Father's Day now, <laughs> I just buy them for him. So he got like organic native English bluebells. He got like cowslips and things like that. And my mum is the kind of mum going, oh, well, we have to put them in. Like, <laughs> it will upset Ryan if we don't put them in. So we're going to have to. It's like, you know, when someone buys you an ornament that you don't want, but you have to put it out. With plants, Aww, you can't put it out every time Dad. I come round. So now he's just got like bluebells in his garden and cowslips. <laughs> 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 I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it he hates it. doesn't he? Oh, he, he despises it. Yeah. But my mum <laughs> loves it. She's like, oh, my bluebells are out again this year. <laughs> so it's good. It's like, I think like, yeah, I mean, that's a, a severe example of just doing it for someone. But that, <laughs> that is that absolute refusal of this is how I want my garden. Exactly. Maybe it's just a man thing as well. But um, yeah, it's, yeah that refusal of I don't want to change it, um,
2: yeah. which is a shame. I think a lot of people are really stuck in their ways. But again, it's, it's, it is conditioning. It is stuff that we read in magazines and that we've been, you know, we, has been fed down to us and taught us mm. by, you know, if, if we fell in love with gardening as a young person and we're taught by our parents or grandparents who we absolutely adored that this is the way to do it, it's very hard to get out of that mindset. It's very hard yeah, to suddenly yeah. think, Oh, I'm just gonna let the aphids go on my roses, because I get a chif chaff that comes in every October and just balances <laughs> on my rose stems and eats all my aphids and I love it. So you know what I mean? It's like can you imagine it's, if
0: that was the normal thought? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, and I don't mean to use the word normal. I mean like that most people would not think that.
2: Most people wouldn't. Th- most people wouldn't even. But notice I'd love a it chif-chaff. if
0: they would. I Can know. you imagine if like I you know. just heard overheard someone in like Cafe Nero? Just, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I don't mind the aphids on the rose because the chaff comes there. I That's the world I want to live in, okay?
2: <laughs> I get chif-chaffs. I get garden <laughs> warblers. I get yeah. white throats. A black caps. And they all come in in spring and autumn and they eat all my aphids. And I just have a little time sitting in my chair looking at them. So um, they just take the aphids off the yeah. the
0: branches of the rose?
2: Yeah. I mean, the chif do. The white throats are a little bit um, more shy. And the black cats. Didn't
0: know birds did that.
2: Yeah. Sparrows. Sparrows are good. I, I never have a I in, in fact, in summer, I never see aphids on my plants because the sparrows have three broods. And, um, and they just come wow. in and just take all of the aphids off.
0: Oh, that's aphids amazing. Like,
2: yeah, it's amazing.
0: Oh, God, that's going to be the takeaway for me. Is that I, I knew, like, obviously ladybirds and stuff was great for that, but I didn't realise <gasps> no, sparrows do. and stuff.
2: And tits. I mean, tits will feed caterpillars to their young, but when they're desperate, then they switch to aphids as well. So actually, by removing aphids in your garden, you're just denying all of these lovely birds a meal. Um, yeah. So, yeah, aphids for the win.
0: There you go. So how should or do you think local councils and governments should be supporting residents and how should they be supporting residents when it comes to creating nature-friendly environments in their gardens? Do you think it's something that councils and governments have a responsibility to encourage and support as well?
2: I think allotments, for example, allotments. most allotments are owned by councils mm-hmm. and people get letters for non-cultivation and people with wilder allotments that have been deliberately left wild for wildlife i uh, send letters for non-cultivation. I think the attitude there needs to change. So that's yeah. a really easy thing. An easy first step is that councils just need to catch up with what we know today compared to 50 years ago, whatever, when yeah. you know you had to have a certain area cultivated. Um, that would be one easy win. I think <clears throat> I'd really like to see planning permission for um, front gardens, the paving over of front gardens to park cars and for plastic grass. I think, if you, yeah. I think if you brought those things in, then just the effort of having to apply for planning permission would just stop people doing it as a quick fix. Sometimes that planning will go ahead. You know, some people really need, you know, my friend's got a disabled son. She had to get rid of her front garden because she had to put a parking space in her garden because yeah. she needed access to the garden. Sometimes that planning permission will always go ahead. It needs to happen for some people. But for most people, it kind of doesn't. And I think our front gardens, we've lost so many of our front gardens. Um, I think 25% in some areas of of front gardens have have, have disappeared. And that's a huge, you know, put together, not individually, not your little space, but put together, that's a huge landmass that's been lost, it's been lost to hedgehogs, it's been lost to birds, it's been lost to bees. Um, And, you know, biodiversity is at a really critical point in the UK and we need to just all take this more seriously. And, yeah, one thing that our councils could do is just encourage us to stop paving over things and covering stuff in plastic a really simple planning permission
0: law. That's really interesting. I didn't think it was going to go down that route because my, my mind always goes, whether it's like financially supporting people or actually putting things in going, you know, if, if everyone had this, let's just to say like, like a, a bug box or something like that, like mm-hmm. random, right? That people are starting to give these or putting them in the local area more. So people start to see it like at local green spaces or where I am in Highgate and Archway, there's a lot of just random patch of grass, with a few benches and a few trees but having that kind of stuff up there kind of reminds people like we have stuff here this is london but you have stuff and it could then filter off into people's normal like their home way of life where they go oh do you remember the the kids enjoyed the bug box there so let's bring something into the house but i didn't think about the planning permission point of view because that's really interesting if you're putting Like you said, not barriers in the way to make it harder for people, but you're just going. Well, this stuff does need to be considered, whether it's necessary or whether it is just because you want a quick fix. Yeah. So can you do it,
2: or can you do it in a more sensitive way? Can you, if you've got to pave, if you know, if you really want a parking space, you know, people have cars, you know, by rights they should be able to park in their front garden, whatever. But you know, if you really want that, can you do it in a way that means you keep some of the grass? or you keep some of the plants you you know you have it so that water drains away because obviously the paving over of gardens also contributes to flooding in cities Mm. um, which contributes to all of the crap ending up in the sea not that that's our fault but um
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah um and i do i think you're right i think having those habitats in place is really encouraging i think those lovely big signs that you get sometimes in parks mm. where it says you know this is who lives here we have we've got all these lovely birds and we've got all these lovely butterflies just having that just reminding people that those species live there as well i think that can filter out um yeah. and also i think people with lovely gardens should pay less tax I mean, why not? <laughs> we're doing a good service. Imagine. Yeah. Can
0: you imagine? Yeah. Tax
2: breaks for gardeners, wildlife gardeners.
0: Yeah. Or maybe great. just pay a tax on plastic grass.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you there can have it, be, but you have
0: should, to pay there a biodiversity be plastic tax. Grass tax. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So... I I think you might have said this already when you said about a pond, but let let me ask you the last question anyway. What would be your one bit of advice to people with any form of outdoor space, whether it's a window, ledge, balcony, front doorstep, front garden, back garden, when it comes to creating a nature-focused garden? What would be your one bit of, like, defo Ooh. bit of advice?
2: I mean, I love my pond, um, but I've also lived in a high-rise flat in Manchester City Centre, and a pond wouldn't have been appropriate there. So I yeah. don't know if I... <laughs> I did have a compost heap. Um <laughs> which was which was questionable weird. at best. Which, yeah, it was quite <laughs> weird. Um but I tell you what I got aphids and I got ladybirds on my sixth floor of my council flat. So it you know it does it does um if you build it, they will come. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, ponds probably not appropriate if you if you've got a really tiny little balcony space. But you could have a little container pond, I suppose, or you could yeah. have a bird bath. You know, some form of water is really important. So bird baths, you know, birds will visit balconies um, in city centres. Hundred percent. So yeah, bird bath, pond, container pond. Lots of people say any pond size will do you can have a pond in a washing up bowl and that's great and you'll get you'll get things using it in my experience you only really get mosquitoes using it obviously you get all the stuff you can't see the um, yeah. water bears and things but but you only really get mosquitoes using a pond that size and if you don't have the predators to eat the mosquitoes you're basically just creating a little bit of a headache for yourself yeah you really want a pond or some body of water where you Yes, get the mosquitoes because they're a really important part of the food chain, but you also get the things that eat them. You know, you get the tadpoles and you get the diving beetles and, and you know, the other things like that, the aquatic invertebrates. So you have a balance. I've actually had fewer mosquito bites in my garden since putting in the pond than before. Wow. Because it's a balanced habitat. Yeah, right. That's anecdotal. There's no science there, but, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, um, I yeah, I think I think, you know, I would just... Be cautious against just having any old pot of water because you could attract mosquitoes. However, I do fully support and endorse hoverfly lagoons. Again, I probably wouldn't put it on a balcony because they do smell quite bad. So that's one (laughs) at the end of the garden. But hoverfly lagoons is basically a bucket of water with some leaves and grass clippings and other crap, like twigs and stuff in. Um, So it really smells bad. And then it attracts loads of hoverflies who like to lay eggs in stagnant water. So that's a really fun one to do, but yes, again, not for balcony. Let me think. Just nice. Do you know what? I know what. I always say.
0: The listeners can't see, but Kate is just talking <laughs> whilst rubbing her head constantly. Going, this just so much. <laughs>
2: it's, it's so much. This is what I say. This is what I write about in my books. Um, do you know what? Um, Mediterranean herbs are really good for people yes. with very small gardens yeah. with with roof. Roof gardens, balconies, if you live on a canal boat, whatever. Mediterranean herbs because they don't need much. Lavender, rosemary, chives, oregano, thyme. If you let them flower, you have to share them with the bees. Then they will flower and produce lots and lots of lovely um, nectar and pollen for bees. They don't need much watering, so you'd have to water them every day, which is really good. Um, and they, they're pretty, and also they can help you in the, your kitchen. So yeah, that's for really small gardens. But if you do have something larger, then I would say a pond, which is great. Um, I've got toads breeding in my pond. I don't know oh. how they got here. I live in a very urban area. I think someone probably introduced them, but I now have a responsibility. I've got to look after these toads. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't move house. Um,
0: <laughs> so. so I live and die Brighton. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, here I am, still here. Um, and, uh, a nice open compost heap because everyone lives there and it's fun.
0: Nice. Uh, nice. Well, Kate, thank you so much for right. giving us some more in-depth look at wildlife in gardens around the UK. And I hope people listening have got some nice ideas. Thank you so much for joining us on Into the Wild.
2: Thanks for having me, Ryan. Take care. Oh,
1: that was nice. It was. Oh, she's good, isn't she? She is.
0: And you know what? It was so like, talking with, with Kate, she's got very, you can kind of feel her passion and feel her just warmth and love for her yeah. garden and all, and all things like that. There's some um, interesting things. She mentioned compost a lot. She did. <laughs> Gardeners she's do. A compost fan. Gardeners do. I thought, thought it was really interesting what she said about how gardens have changed over the last 50 years and how the allotments now are what gardens used to be because if you visit or even if you just walk past an allotment they are so impressive i think mm. for what people have even the ones that are let go a little bit there's quite often always flowers there's lovely veggies. you do see a lot of wildlife just out and about in them yeah. and i think there's an unruliness to them it's there, lovely. There, there really is and i think it's it's a good visual to say if you go look, look at an allotment where you are now and and start to tell yourself, you know, that's what gardens are. That's what gardens, you know, used to be. You know, back in nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, even. So to to start thinking about how that's changed to today, and and maybe the use has changed, or maybe uh, the need or the size or anything like that. There is a big difference to what gardens mm. are now. I think to what to an allotment style. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I put it. I think it all leans into, I guess, socially where we're at. Right, mm. like. There's not many people, it, you know, it's a lot of energy to grow your own vegetables when you can just nip down the co-op. Yeah. And you know, for a quid, get a bag of spuds. So, like, I think, like, culturally, those kind of, those gardens that people used to use to maybe, have, you, people used to have, like, a couple of pigs at the end of the garden, a few hens. Did they? And grow veg, they did. Just had a couple of pigs? Yeah, no, that's a thing. Oh, I, so wish I used to I live in I that. used to live in an old terrace with the, the, a lot of the old terraces with the big, long gardens. You know, people would have a... Those mm. lovely kind of like country gardens. People would often have like a like a pig at the end and then they'd have a veg plot on the side, a little bit like it would all be a bit wild and they served a function. I'd I would pig. if you had money
0: and you, I'd love a pig at the end of my garden. Yeah, I, I want to, that sounds like a kid's book. <laughs> the pig at the end of the garden. Oh, it's just about to honk. Go on. No, not
1: honk. What's honk. it called? Oink. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah I think I think it depends who you were, your so- social status and class, mm. but definitely like a lot of people would have used their gardens for um growing vegetables for the purposes of eating vegetables. Now, I think people do it as a hobby, right? like people grow yeah. vegetables because actually there's something quite wholesome and nice about it, and even though they probably can't afford vegetables. so I think just I think there's been a shift in terms of like who has gardens and what they're used for. Mm. I think a lot of now, like I see a lot of people um my sense is that people want to use them as outdoor recreational spaces particularly if you remember in covid people could meet outdoors in the garden they've become places to gather and like have social so there's kind of maybe more paving more decking um like that probably a new
0: thing in recent history. I can't yeah, I would. see that Well, certainly the style that it's presented in. Do you know what I mean? I mean yeah. you know, people have always used their garden space for yeah. maybe not so much, you know, having people around for a barbecue or, you know, having like a big party outside. So, But I, th- I still think gardens have that beautiful space where you can have a social gathering in them, but you can also mix in that, you know, those those lovely pl- flowering plants or a pond in the garden. I mean, when there's a pond in a garden, for God's sake, oh, it's like ever... I don't know many people that don't go and peek their head over the pond and go and have a yeah. look. Do you know what I mean? Even people that aren't that connected to the natural world go, I'm going to have a look at the pond. So there's such a... Yeah. It's almost like the centre of a garden, even if it's not in the centre, it's like kind of like it attracts people to it to go and have a look. Yeah, so so really, you you like, it's a focal point. Yeah, and you can, you can mix that kind of recreational use, that social use in with the kind of other things that go. Gardens are beautiful for. And I think Kate brought up the, the beautiful point as well with allotments having that vibe of kind of rickety and a bit... <laughs> I don't know what the right word is, because I don't want to like, it, they all sound negative. But when you say like a bit unorganized, the fence post might not be kind of like really straight, there might be a lifted one. But that allows wildlife to move around still while you contain what you need to contain in your garden. And I think that's something that we've really, in the UK, lost with our gardens. It has to be regimented straight, you know, filling that gap mm-hmm. in the fence, don't let anything come in. And there, there could be a, an abundance of reasons why we've needed to do stuff like that. But stopping stuff come coming in and also stop stuff being Able to leave or or tra- travel around, and you know the hedgehogs are a perfect example of the decline um, in numbers for things like that, along with other um, issues as well. But it's like y- you know, I think looking at kind of how like oh god, I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud, hickledy pickledy allotments. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck, hickledy pickledy allotments. Wow. I know that was a moment. Oh God, I'm so old. Um,
1: you, you are, and actually I'm surprised <laughs> you're not, I'm surprised you're not pottering it in an allotment right now.
0: Uh, do you know what? It's There's something about that vibe though, that even... Oh, it's it, it, it's I, very you. It's very me, isn't it? You, yeah. No, I, no, I know what you're
1: saying. I, if you imagine that the... I, I honestly think the really highly manicured gardens is an aspirational middle-class thing. Yeah. If you have got enough time to create this perfect, picture-perfect garden, it demonstrates to the outside world how much time you've got on your hands Mm -hmm. um, and how you can have this, like, perfect representation. I think there has been a blurring of the edges. I think the middle classes now do spend a lot of time rewilding their garden and introducing wildlife. There's been a big surge in, you know, if you imagine the perfectly curated lawn as sharp edges, we are now softening and blurring those edges into having something a little bit more cottage-style, a little bit more wild. Like, I, I get the sense that people are, like, feeling nostalgic right now about wanting to be in a world which is more nature rich and actually less kind of harsh and bold and regimented and actually but actually you know it it still takes quite a lot to I I mean I me not doing anything in my garden for two years and being like oh I'm just rewilding it it's it's a it's an absolute mess actually (laughs) like wildlife friendly gardening does actually take a heap load of effort it does to to make it look you know that beautiful and so yeah, no, I, 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 I'm very, very supportive of like this movement to have a less kind of regimented, perfect garden. Absolutely, space. and
0: that's and, and, and like I said, we're not just talking about what your what you've got in your garden. We're talking about the fence panels. We're talking about stuff like that. It Doesn't have to, you know. If there's a hole in your fence, leave it. Let's see what uses it: frogs, toads, hedgehogs, anything like that that might come but, through. You
1: know, even just I did a little bit of research before the program, like you know, wildlife friendly gardening. If you Google that, like. RSPB, Wildlife Trust, Plant Life, Royal Horticultural Society. There's just pages and pages of advice. Like the information available now to people if you're interested in wildlife and what to do is huge. Mm. There is still like a big awareness gap. You know, there are still heaps of the population who aren't really aware of how much wildlife needs a helping hand and like where to begin. And um, Kate told a story about, you know, someone who had a plastic lawn and then they were like, where have the hedgehogs gone? Yeah. And so there's an interesting knowledge gap mm. there, you
0: know? Yeah, and also with wildlife-friendly garden, when we look at like the, the use of herbicides or pesticides or stuff like that, if, if you're going to go down, a, you know, a more organic route, which, you know, I'd encourage everyone to do, but that that is still work because usually the organic route is you spend more time in your garden. You spot the yeah. problems, you remove them. You encourage yeah. wildlife in to do it for you.
1: Yeah, and I think it's all important to remember the reason why it's hard work is because we've created um this really false environment mm. so it's not really re- like a biodiversity rich place intact ecosystems self regulate right the reason why you get big explosive populations of pests for example in a garden it's because the equilibrium is totally out of kilter in in a biodiverse rich or in, like an, an, an ecology that is put together and okay, everything does slowly, does balance itself out. You you know, you do get boom and bust populations of things, cycles in years, but generally when you try and maintain this like perfect aesthetic in your garden, you are displacing, you're putting things out of kilter, which is why when you're growing vegetables and you're growing like a monoculture of vegetables, if you get a pest, it will go all the way through, but if you more have more of like a permaculture approach and introduce different species in the same flower bed and you end up kind of getting a bit more regulation. But sometimes to reach that equilibrium of biodiversity in your garden, it's going to take years. And the amount of like personal education that you have to do to like understand and perseverance and time and labor, it's no wonder that not many people are doing it perhaps in the way that it needs to be done or you feel like you've messed up and it's not where you need it to be which brings me on to that point of education we're talking earlier about like you know the thing about using pesticides and plastic lawns I think there is a lot of frustration at the public of like oh people just need to do better and I think it's not fair I think gardens are a fake thing anyway right like we've created the concept of a garden as opposed to just having a wild landscape we've created this concept of like that's your bit and you can do what you want on it um, you know, back in the day, long time ago, any bit of land that people had or common land was used for the purposes of um, growing vegetables and grazing your animals. So, like, the garden is quite a privileged concept. It's beautiful. But also you're trying to create this perfect little tiny space with any external pressures. You know, you might have a beautiful wildlife garden, but then either side you might have two plastic lawns. So you can only do so much in this kind of weird environment that we've created. So let's have a bit of kind of respect and understanding that those that want a plastic lawn, it's probably because actually managing a garden when you don't know anything about gardening is quite overwhelming. So there definitely needs to be like a big education programme. You know, our schools should not be selling off their land. Our schools should be supported to have gardens and green spaces to teach people kind of like planting techniques and kind of any ancient knowledge that we have about what our wildlife needs to thrive and what, what native species that we have that can produce fruit and produce like sustenance and, and nuts and seeds and things like that. Like we need to be kind of giving the confidence for people at a really young age that you can plant things and they can grow and you can have agency to protect and be a steward of that green space. Um and a lot of people kind of don't have that. Obviously, everything that was said is amazing. I guess um, there's some really great ideas about how do we shift from where we are to where we might want to be. And I think it is. I. I. am I'm, I'm probably less leaning against any scenario where there has to be enforcement, and um, because not only does it put a burden on the state and takes money away into an enforcement agency for people who have not got planning permission for a plastic lawn or a driveway. Um. Actually, if we invested that money in kind of education or like local community initiatives that taught people how to garden or whatever. Maybe maybe there are more long-term ways of dealing with it.
0: The thing I think that bugs me the most with Plastic Grass, and I said it in my chat with Kate, and I do say this as an able-bodied person, so I, I, I don't want to assume this, but I just, I hate that attitude of that kind of, well, it's just for, you know, well, people need it because, you know, of mobility issues, and I'm like, but I just find that patronising to kind of say that that's mm. what people need, and I'm like, you, you're kind of speaking on behalf of people here. Like, is it are you saying that people can't have access in any other way? Like, I, I just yeah, and that's a lot of rubbish. It's, just, right? it's like, a load of rubbish. Well, if you really care about is, it, go, that, go how, down how, and have a go at the train companies for not having good access on their trains, or go go to every pub in London and say, yeah. why aren't you getting better, like access for people with mobility you don't give a shit about people with mobility issues <laughs> you just use yeah, them as a yeah, scapegoat just,
1: right yeah i hear yeah i hate it when people do that they're just like oh, uh, uh, uh people with access issues it's like yeah. come on you <laughs> yeah, just you just <laughs> you just think that you're better than people yeah. with plastic lawns because you have got the time energy resource and knowledge and privileged to be in a situation where you can have a wildlife friendly garden and just judge other people. Mm. We need to look at why socially we've got a system where actually somebody who does have a garden who might have like issues of not being able to garden that. Why don't we have, why don't we have a more of a social system or a culture of supporting our older? Mm. Like I saw this really cool thing on Instagram the other day, which was, um, it's like a, it's like a green gym. It's, it's like a way of a group joining a community group to keep fit. But instead of like, Doing weird, awkward lunges in the park this in <laughs> Sunday morning together. They're actually finding social things that need doing locally, like painting a community centre or helping people mow their lawn. Like, you know, yeah, maybe maybe people just think that these are pipe dreams and I'm just like imagining a utopia. But then why the hell not? Why can't we have mm. systems set up that mean people can have gardens and they can have help managing them and
0: Absolutely. I mean, we've got neighborhood WhatsApp groups. That's a start. <laughs>
1: Well, I swear to God, like if you know, if some, I don't know, like I would be more than happy spending half an hour just chopping down oh, something. I would. You know, I, for somebody. I would
0: genuinely, if anyone's got a garden, I might put it on my neighbourhood WhatsApp group and just say, if anyone wants anything done, if you want. You
1: came here for a week and didn't lift a finger.
0: Hey, that was my week off. And also, your garden's riddled with ticks. It's, hard, like it's God, horrible. It's horrible. It's like an apocalypse out there. I'd have no blood left that be like a pillow no, you like, just, ugh.
1: Ugh. oh, God. If anyone's never experienced ticks, I yeah, wish just you- just
0: go visit Nadia. To never.
1: You know, go to my garden. <laughs> um, but also, you know, going back to that point where you like go back to the source, if, you know, if people are worried that gardens are being turned into, you know, being paved over for cars, then we need to be asking ourselves a question. Why have we got so many cars? Why have we yeah. not got car parking space? And actually, maybe we need to rely less on a car economy and- you invest more in public transport. transport. At the end of the day, gardens only make up a really tiny fraction of the landscape in England. We have a dire biodiversity popu- like a situation and it is not because of gardens. It's because of how we manage farms intensively. And we've covered this before when we did Yeah, the, like, it always comes
0: down to the same things, Charlie. And, and
1: so what I think gardens are important for is for the 80 87- percent of the population that have them. It's an important place for you to have a sense of belonging, to feel rooted to the land to have a space that you can escape into. Two people I know really well, I don't know how they would have coped in the last two or three mm-hmm. years if they couldn't pour their energy into their garden, um, attracting wildlife and just giving themselves the mindful opportunities to notice the comings and goings of butterflies on yeah. a daily basis and recording them and, and doing all that beautiful stuff. So like, ultimately, yes, wildlife-friendly gardening is really important. And, you know, to have places where hedgehogs can have havens and badgers and foxes and butterflies Um, Is not going to solve, I don't think personally, the biodiversity crisis. What it is going to do, it's going to give a huge portion of our population the opportunity to learn about wildlife, to learn about growing, to learn that they are part of something bigger. And I actually think that's the value in it. And so I'd like to see more opportunities for people to learn from a young age the art of what is possible Mm -hmm. when you have a bit of land. It is absolutely magical.
0: Which I would actually, I would actually arg- not argue, but I would actually say that what you've said there is a way to tackle the climate and biodiversity yeah, there crisis. You go. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a less yeah, yeah, direct yeah. way. So we're not looking, you know, gardens as a space, uh, land size is not big, but as a potential to create culture change and the connection to nature and have that ability yes. to grow people's love for um, the natural world or to just appreciate that, wow, this is how much power the natural world can have and life, I think that is huge. 87% yeah. of the population, if if half of that suddenly realize the power of nature, damn, that could be a big cultural change in the next 15, 20 years. Um yeah, so yeah. I think that's where How do we that do, we do power- it?
1: How do we do it? It has to be education I'll try clicking my actually.
0: fingers and if that doesn't work, back to the drawing board. Just
1: put your feet in a garden pond, <laughs> allow the toads <laughs> to cling onto your
0: legs. And say hedgehogs five times pushed. with your eyes shut, and see what happens. Hedgehog,
1: hedgehog, hedgehog, <laughs> badger, fox.
0: <laughs> the last thing I'll say on this episode to do with garden wildlife, I really liked what Kate said because uh, about learning about what's in your local area in terms of wildlife and specifically invertebrates as probably the one group that can travel with ease um, in the garden and birds as well to see what you should put in. I think that's a lovely thing to do and to connect with your kind of local patch, even if it was somewhere as big as North London. I know where I am in Highgate and Archway, we've got a very healthy population of Jersey tiger moths, just incredible amount. You see them all the time throughout um, August and September. So you know, I thought down at the community garden, well, let's start planting their caterpillar food of red and white dead nettle. And you've got ivy that's already growing there. So if we can get them in the garden, oh, that'd be it's insane. It's Google, isn't it? Huh?
1: To learn this stuff. I like that. I, I mean, a shout out as well to um, my friend, Tom Aspinall, mm. um, who he's got an incredible, like... Flower, diverse, rich garden, and whenever he goes anywhere, he just kind of collects seeds of like native flowers, and then yeah. created this like absolute mosaic. And I will also give it you know, another really amazing solution, not solution, but a project I used to work on was called Wild About Tamworth, and it was a project um in association with Tamworth Borough Council and um the Wildlife Trust, Staffordshire Wildlife Trust. They worked together, so all of the green spaces, so you know, like just the normal council run parkland, yeah, which is often yeah. just grass. It's often just improved grassland. They worked together in a partnership to get local people. So volunteer groups managed each one of these green spaces in and around Tamworth, which is a really densely built up urban area to make them wildlife friendly, like replant native wildflowers yeah, and let yeah. have, have, as opposed to just a big bit of green, they would mow enough for a football pitch so that people could still use it. And I was like, oh, actually, there is the opportunity to to look at some of our park areas where people and, and have like wild and they can be spaces then for education so people can be like oh, okay so this is what like
0: yeah absolutely
1: wild places but it's such a good idea from kate you know learn about what's local yeah I, um, I love and it. then figure out how do you get that in my space too because then it's a corridor
0: and it is yeah that's and that's how we create corridors specifically for biodiversity if we look at that power like and i encourage everyone i, I did a quick google of my local area to find which butterfly species are popular butter, butterfly conservation.co.uk is a brilliant uh, website and charity to kind of look at that uh, wherever you are in the UK. Look at what bees are usually around, or kind of you know if you put a pond in, see if there's more ponds around you to see if frogs are nearby and might need another pond or something like that. Just it helps guide you a little bit because there's so much information out there. If you suddenly go, oh, I I can plant this this uh, Mediterranean herb with with some cowslips in the grass here, and that could help this these species. I think that's where the the starts of wildlife gardening are. Um, but what a lovely episode talking about British oh, British I feel gardens. Very- I feel wholesome. It is a very wholesome thing, British Gardens. I I think I'd better do some gardening. (laughs) I am not visiting your house for a while.
1: I know that you're coming in December. I am not
0: gardening in December in the Isle of Butte. I'd die.
1: One one gardening day. Uh,
0: I'm I'm not going to say yes on record.
1: (laughs) That was lovely. I hope that's inspired you to... I'm assuming that our listeners... Um, if you have a garden probably a wildlife, wildlife friendly garden, garden, garden yeah but maybe how how if you do have a wildlife friendly garden how do you export that to people around you yes, right yes yeah there's some beautiful initiatives i've seen where towns have done wildlife friendly gardening trails so like there's a day a year when people open up their gardens and you can come and see and you can see these yeah. wild like like so yeah. I think there's all kinds of things that you can do to talk to your community.
0: Normalize it. Start buying people little plugs of wildflowers, native wildflowers yeah. for birthdays and stuff, so they have to put it out somewhere. That's a, that's what I do. Like I said to Kate, it's yeah. what I do to my dad. <laughs> now they're in the garden
1: and and, and burn
0: rhododendrons and just go around with fire and torches and burn all just the burn, yeah with fire. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that don't do that please don't do that um, nerds thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Into the Wild we will see you on the next show lovely lovely <laughs> goodbye I'll hang up my gloves thanks for tuning into the show nerds if you don't already make sure to follow us on social media at Into the Wild pod on Twitter and at Into the Wild podcast on Instagram
1: And if you're able to and would like to, you can support the show by tipping us at kofee.com forward slash into the wild pod. That buys us the equivalent of a coffee and we use it to fund more podcasts for your ears.
0: But until next time, keep well and live the good life.